Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey guys, welcome to another podcast. Today we have a new sponsor. Today's sponsor is Impact Pet Business Success Summit, which is ran by my good friend Dominic Hodgson, who I've had a lot of experience with his business programs, and I really recommend them. If you're a dog trainer who wants to help more people and make more money with your amazing dog training skills, then you should check out Dominic Hodgson's Grow Your Pet Business Fast business coaching programs. I was a member of Dom's Pet Business Inner Circle, and in 2017, I attended his inaugural Poodle to Pitbull Pet Business Bootcamp. So I can say without question that his marketing methods are effective and they will help you to make more money. By listening to Dom's advice, my training fees increased to four times the original amount. Dom has twice been a guest on this podcast and earlier this year, direct response marketing strategist Dan Kennedy called Dom Europe's number one business coach of dog trainers, professional dog walkers and pet sitters. You can book a place at Dom's next event, Impact, the Pet Business Marketing Success Summit by going to www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com slash impact or check out his free 33 ideas at www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com slash 33 ideas. Right, so today we are talking to Sarah Dixon. Sarah is the president of the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. She has written articles for the APDT and Karen Pryor's clickertraining.com. She was also included in Ken Ramirez's book, Better Together, The Collected Wisdom of Modern Dog Trainers. And she's spoken at the APDT conference multiple times. She teaches workshops throughout the USA and Canada. So let's get into it. What first got you involved with dog training? Um, Actually... I've been interested in training animals pretty well my whole life, um, but my family wasn't like really huge into dogs when I was a kid. We did have one dog um, who was a funny little guy, a very sweet little Karen Terrier that we adopted about six years old, but he was never really the most trainable dog. <laughs> um, I remember trying to teach him how to sit, and it was like he would learn it but then forget the next day, but he was very sweet. Um, I did have a lot of small animals that my friend and I trained to do obstacle courses and things like that. So guinea pigs, rats, um, hamsters. I also grew up um, more with parrots than with dogs. So I worked a lot with, um, you know, uh, parrots and smaller birds. Um, And then when I moved out of my parents' house, I pretty well immediately started fostering dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So I started taking in dogs from the shelter and sort of working with them. And that's sort of how I got started into dog training is finding out that I had an interest in working with dogs with some issues. And despite the fact of using like the most ridiculous, horrible dominance based methods, uh-huh. <laughs> like when I think back on it, I'm like, my God, how did that even, how did it work? I was able to, you know, help some dogs. And that was really something that I enjoyed. 
so after doing that for a while, I got my own dog, and we started doing uh, clicker training. And through that, I was able to do a lot of different sports and competition stuff with her. And basically, once I sort of got kind of like some basic obedience titles on her, I went, okay, maybe I could actually, you know, do this professionally. And I started working at a pet store as a dog trainer. And it's been, you know, pretty well full steam ahead since then. I've done it professionally um, full-time pretty well since then. And that was, I think, about 10 years ago that I actually started doing this, like, really full-time professionally. Um, and now I am in New York, which is, like, a pretty crazy place to live. And, you know, dog training brought me here, and I'm really enjoying that. I work for a great company. Um, it's really challenging, which is great on a career level. Um, get to work with some very tough cases in a very difficult environment. So, yeah, that's sort of the long story of the short story of how I got into dog training. What I think is interesting as a contrast between kind of the UK and the US is it seems to me, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, from talking to a lot of US trainers, like there seems to be a real route into dog training through working for pet shops, which doesn't Mm -hmm. really exist over here. I think a lot of people definitely get their feet wet that way. Um, what was nice for me is when I was like really starting out, I didn't really know, you know, what to do, and that gave me sort of like I got an you know I got an intro level certification that said like, hey, you know, you know a bit about dog training, and I was pretty excited about that. And then it also lets you have a space that you you know you have access to that. They give you a curriculum, you know, they feed you clients. The, the plus side of it is you get a lot of experience, you know, working with different people and different dogs in a less than ideal setting. Um, the space is never large enough. The distractions are crazy. You know, the people usually aren't super committed because they haven't put a lot of financial investment into the classes. Pet store classes over here are kind of notoriously low cost. Um, but people who do it, I feel like they get a really good, you know, starter experience. And I, I think a lot of people do get into it that way. Um which is interesting that you don't really see that over there. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people do really start out training at like PetSmart or Petco. Um, for me, I was I'm from Canada, so it was a company called Petcetera, which is like basically the Canadian version mm. of like a PetSmart. Um, but it was a great start for me. And then basically, what happened for me is I worked there for a little while, and then I moved to a town that didn't have a lot of dog trainers and just started teaching my own classes. But it gave me the experience and ability to be able to kind of start off on my own after after a time. Yeah, in the UK, I think our, our kind of comparable big pet shop is uh, Pets at Home. And to my knowledge, they don't offer any kind of training. So it, it's funny that just um, those few businesses can probably make a big difference to how people get into dog training. Yeah, and a lot of people speak quite negatively about the trainers who work at, you know, those big box stores, as we would call them. But there's a lot of them, you know, that are really talented trainers. Um, And it was very interesting because the company that I work for in New York, which is a company called Instinct Dog Training, um, they actually mentioned that they specifically, when they're looking to hire new trainers, will often look for people who have worked, especially for longer periods, in those stores, you know, because of some of the things that I mentioned about how you are really being successful in an extremely challenging and less than ideal environment. Yeah, I've heard people say that about uh, all kinds of things, like... Um, I can't remember the exact context, but I remember someone telling me 
about how they quite like to employ people that have worked at fast food restaurants because because you have the stress of you know you have to deal with that stress of of customers and the, the kind of fast pace so that kind of yeah or, makes or, sense. or or the hospitality industry too like if someone's been you know a bartender or um a waiter or a waitress it gives a lot of those skills so where did the IAABC come into your kind of journey so I had already been practicing for quite a while, and um, how that happened is actually it was I went to a, an APDT conference. So APDT is one of the other you know major organizations in North America. Um, they have a, a UK, but I think they're not necessarily connected. Um, forgive me if I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, um, but APDT yeah, is they're... quite big over here as well. But I, I think you're right. But it's right. not the same. <laughs> you did warn me Told about you. that. Um, I think you're it's right. New York, they're baby. Disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like kind of New Yorker second language is, is honking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think your APDT there is the same name, but it's not, I don't think that they're connected okay. at all. Um Anyways, I went to, there was an APDT conference that was actually fairly close to the small town which I lived in, and I went to that, and Michael Shikashio, who was the past president of the IABC, was manning the booth, and he was like, hey, I know you from Facebook, and he was like, you need to be part of our organization, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I know about you guys, I'm interested, but I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. And he's like, yeah, you should certify, you should certify. I was like, ah, you know, I'd like to maybe join as a member, but I don't know if I, if I know enough to certify. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, you'll, you'll do fine. He's like, I, I know you from online. I think that you, could, you would have no problem certifying. So I ended up taking the exam, and then I became a certified dog behavior consultant. Um, and then I believe it was the next year that I joined the board, and I've been on the board since then. So I'm pretty involved with the organization for several years. Uh, it's a really, it's a fun but uh, very time-intensive thing to be working on, but I do really enjoy it. It's important to me. Um, so I was on the board for a couple of years. I think this is coming up on my fourth and I was a member at large for a little while, then I was the secretary for a little while, and of course Michael um, very sadly resigned, and I was elected into the president position this year. So I am <laughs> on a bit of a steep learning curve, but enjoying it so far. So what does that look like? Like, how did you get onto? How did you get from being a certified member to joining the board first? Uh, well, actually, I got asked to come on the board. Um, at the time, I was also nominated for the APDT board and as well the IACP board, which is another organization <laughs> over here. You're just showing off now, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was actually it was a, it was a high point in my life. Um, and then I, they actually asked if I would be interested in joining the IABC board, and I said yes, I would like to do that, and I joined. So that was that. So are you on all of those boards, or did you just have to choose one? No, I had to choose one, and I chose the IAABC, so they won. So how did you get yourself into that position? Were you just active in the kind of communities, and people saw that you were doing good work? Yeah, I think it was from just, like, honestly being active um, in, like, mostly in online communities, like, honestly, probably Facebook. And, um, you know, I think that, the current board felt that I was a good fit for the organization. 
you know, that my sort of values and the way that I spoke about things was a good fit, kind of aligned well with how the IABC works. Um, and, you know, just kind of like being out there producing some content and, um, yeah, I think just sort of being a nice sort of, what's the word I want to say? Like um, diplomatic person on forums as well, like, I've always tried to sort of see things from both sides and, you know, not really be argumentative. Um, I have a lot of friends who are more what we would call, like, a balance trainer. Uh, so I do have a bit of, like, kind of a foot in both worlds, which is kind of an interesting perspective, which a lot of people don't do. They tend to sort of stick in their cliques. Um, so I think that that sort of, like, my attitude of being diplomatic and trying to bring people together was something that was possibly noticed well i think that's also reflected in your podcast as well uh hair of the dog which is mm -hmm. really cool because you don't stick to say conventional guests you know it's not like you're just interviewing people that are uh maybe seen as kind of the classic positive trainer stereotype yeah and part of that is actually because um my co-host rebecca she comes from a little bit more of a balanced training background so I, I actually think that's really interesting, um, you know, as a vessel for conversation because we're coming at things with slightly different perspectives. And she's mostly, you know, reward-based, but there are choices that she might make that are slightly different than the choices that I might make, but we're able to sort of discuss, you know, respectfully and rationally about why, you know, we might make one choice or the other. The other thing that I find that's interesting dynamic is, like, I'm fairly experienced in the industry and she's fairly new. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I, I get to sort of coach her and be like her, her career coach sometimes. Um, but it, she actually sort of talked me into starting that podcast. We've been doing it almost for three years now and I'm very happy that I did it. It's something I look forward to doing every week and, you know, we get to have different people come on and talk with different people that I would never get to, you know, sit down and just chat with for an hour. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you probably find the same thing. You're like, oh, hey, so I just, you know, sat down and talked with like Bob Bailey. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> oh, you saw that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. A hundred percent agree with you on there and and actually that was one of the reasons that i specifically wanted to talk to you uh with regards to all of this regulation and association stuff because i i i knew of the iabc but it wasn't until i was invited by nancy tucker to go to the uk conference um that i kind of got to know it more and got to know everyone like i spoke to uh, margie as well and uh and michael as well michael shikashio mm -hmm. you've already mentioned um and one of the cool things about it i think uh which i haven't found uh maybe i should give kind of a bit more backstory so when i first got involved with dog training i i did what everyone did and i kind of joined associations but i got really frustrated with them early on because i felt like a lot of them were kind of give us your money and we'll give you a logo mm -hmm. and uh you know it's using your marketing and that just really annoyed me because that wasn't what I was after. And also because, I, to be like quite frank, I, I really don't think pet owners give a shit <laughs> about the logo. I think it's more yeah. of a kind of dog trainer thing. Um, but, but what I liked about the IABC is, first of all, there is a community um, ar mm -hmm. around it. And I liked all of the people and I felt like there was more of a mature discussion um, yes, because I feel like some of the associations have gone down such a positive rabbit hole 
that it's just become like um it's just become crazy you know it's it's like if you do anything outside of the the positive reinforcement quadrant then you're um you know you're an evil person so that's what i liked about the iaabc and that's why i specifically wanted to talk to you uh over uh, any other association Cool. Yeah. And, you know, you know, to be honest, those are things that have always drawn me to the organization as well. Just like feeling welcome, very, you know, it's, you feel very, it's very much a community, the forums, I really enjoy the discussions and it is, I think, a bit of a higher level. Um, and, you know, there's a place for everything, but we do try to be, you know, putting out cutting edge science related content. Um, you know, it's a huge you know, wealth of projects that are, are manned mainly by volunteers, which is always a challenge, but, you know, we are trying to produce a ton of courses. Um, the principles and practice course that we put out is phenomenal. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but that is a great course. Um, it's sort of our, like, I guess you would call it, like, a flagship course. It's, like, 12 weeks long, and we have speakers like Ken Ramirez, Dr. Overall, Karen Overall, um, you know, just like everybody you could want to learn from. Susan Friedman is on there. Um, and that's a fantastic course. So, like, those kinds of things are always what have drawn me to the IABC as well, just like a little bit higher level. And I like that, you know, we try to stay a little bit more rational. And what's important, I think, to understand is we're not promoting the use of, of punishment or aversives. But also, you know, not getting into the, <laughs> not getting into the, the, you know, the, the violently force-free <laughs> rabbit hole, um, as you. The honking see. is rather appropriate, you, to be honest. To it's say. just well timed. Um, who knows? Somebody's like, it's probably green light. You haven't got like a moving. sound effect board there. Or something. <laughs> no, this is this is New York. This is my apartment. Background noise. So you definitely you get used to it. Obviously, my dogs are not sound sensitive. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've always really enjoyed the the rationality of the organization, and I like that in the forums. You know, we can talk through some difficult topics that on a lot of groups would get you kicked off. You're just not allowed. It's taboo. You're not allowed to talk about it. Mm. We can talk about it from the standpoint of someone who's, you know, really trying to maximize positive reinforcement in their training and minimize aversives, but like thoughtfully talk through some of these difficult things. Mm. So as an organization, uh, how do you kind of define yourself? Is it uh, following, say, Friedman's humane hierarchy or is it uh, Lima or, you know, what is the uh, overarching kind of uh, approach? So we consider ourselves a Lima organization, which is least invasive, minimally aversive, and that's tied fairly closely to um, Susan Friedman's humane hierarchy. We actually reference that in our position statement on Lima. Um, some of the things to recognize about Lima that I think get it gets misconstrued is that people will say that Lima is an excuse to use punishment, but it's actually a roadmap to help people avoid the use of punishment. Um, and to maximize, you know, some of those things that are higher up on, on the humane hierarchy, like, you know, antecedent enragement and, you know, obviously positive reinforcement, but there are things that are even above positive reinforcement on the hierarchy. Um, and I think that's really important to understand because there are, 
Lima is very skills-based, and if you don't have good skills in utilizing, you know, positive reinforcement and some of those, you know, higher up on the hierarchy things, then yeah, you will move to punishment more quickly. But Lima doesn't justify that. It's not like, well, you know, I tried cookies, so I'm just gonna give them a little, give them a little pop because it's not working. It's meant to be very thoughtful, um, and you're also sort of like, if you're thinking of moving down the ladder, you know. Um, you're meant to sort of be able to go and discuss that with some some peers and things like that. Um, we did also sort of add in our own little statement that Lima does not justify the use of, you know, aversive um, procedures and equipment like electronic collars in lieu of other effective positive reinforcement-based methods because that's something that, you know, we take a lot of criticism over. Uh, so we want to be really clear that we are Lima. It's not force-free. But um, that doesn't mean that you can just jump, you know, straight to punishment. We want people to be very thoughtful about it. It's meant to be a roadmap to avoid it. We want people to really maximize their skills in using positive reinforcement-based training. So that's really kind of what we're promoting. As an, uh, as an association, um, how do you go about enforcing those kind of rules? Um, because there are a lot of people that kind of... You see this on Facebook where someone might label mm -hmm. themselves as one thing, but clearly their training is telling you something completely different. Yeah, and that's actually a really good question. Um, one of the things that I'm very proud of with our organization is we do have, um, you know, an excellent code of ethics, and we have, um, you know, a really good ethics committee that is in place, um, and we do follow up on complaints. So if somebody recognizes that someone is, you know, an IABC member or a certified member particularly that they feel, you know, is, is practicing outside of our code of ethics, then they can notify the ethics committee and submit a complaint. They have to have proof, so it can't be based on hearsay. Um, they can c submit a claim. It will be investigated. There is a, sorry, I got a little foster dog, so I'm kind of trying to keep my eye on her to make sure she's not doing anything naughty. Um, it will be investigated. We do have set systems in place so that it is done in a fair um, manner and, you know, anonymous as possible. Uh, hey, Papa, what are you doing? Keep chewing on your leash. Um, and, but we do take it very seriously, and there will be consequences if it is deemed appropriate. Um, and that's something that I think does set us apart because not a lot of organizations are able to have, um, you know, those actual code of ethics investigations. And I think that, where did she go? <laughs> <laughs> I think that it, it, you know, it helps us say with integrity that these are values that we stand behind and we will enforce we will enforce them. You know, like if you do something that is really uh, inappropriate, you can, you know, as much as lose your membership. But we're always going to try to educate someone before we, you know, lay the hammer, you know, lay the smack down. Yeah, that right. that makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense. Um, so, as kind of the new president, what does that job look like? What what would you actually well, end up doing as a president of a? So I. I am still learning. Um, it's a lot. So I, I try to spend a lot of time every day, like, on our forums, you know, reading all the posts and trying to be active and invested in the conversations. So that's all of our Facebook groups, and we also have email lists. So reading those, stepping in when I have to. So, you know, I do admin most of those lists as well, making sure that people are, you know, keeping things appropriate and on topic. And one of the things that I tend to have to sort of remind people of um, 
fairly frequently is not to give out, you know, veterinary advice. Um, that's really important to us because we do have several vet behaviorists that are part of our organization. Um, so we really want to make sure that people are not giving out, you know, medical advice inappropriately, um, which people do, you know, they're very well-meaning, they just don't understand, so that's something that comes up. Um, I also kind of obviously oversee the rest of the board of directors, and I have projects of my own that I work on. I help, you know, oversee the board of directors projects, um, you know, we have a package. <laughs> <laughs> Never end. Um, I also, you know, help with sort of, you know, writing press releases and being a media contact and that kind of thing. So there's there's just a ton. It's a really fun job, but it's a lot of work, lots of meetings. Uh, one of the lots of, one of the things yeah, that built, strikes me about this is, uh, you know, you seem like a hugely busy person, even in other areas of of your life. Yeah. I assume that these are kind of paid positions, you know. You, um, we do have some paid staff, but most of the organization positions are volunteer. Like the board is all, it's all volunteer. Um, all of our division chairs are volunteer. Um, most of it's volunteer positions just by people who, you know, think it's important and they enjoy doing some work. Crazy people like myself who want a second full-time job. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen photos of, you know, some of your, uh, well, I assume they're volunteers or staff, you know, people just kind of like crammed in a room on laptops mm -hmm. uh, working away. So this seems like a hell of a project. Yeah, well, you might have seen, I posted some pictures a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the board did a working retreat in um, Cape Cod. So we had most of the board members there and we worked on projects and like basically we we're in meetings for like two and a half days. <laughs> so it looks like fun. But, you know, we're there working. We start at, like, 9 in the morning, and, one like, one day we went till 10 or 11 at night. Mm. Um, so it is a lot of work, and then we meet, you know, every two or three weeks as well. We we also have a conference that we do every year, and you were lucky enough to go to the one that we had in the U.K. last year, um, which we'll hopefully be doing again. Um, yeah, it's a ton of work, and, and mostly volunteers. Like I said, we do have a few paid staff, but for the most part, it is all done by volunteers, which is amazing when you think about it. So one of the questions that I see on Facebook a lot is, you know, people questioning, you know, there are so many associations and organizations at this point that it, uh, some people feel that it seems to kind of fragment more than it does kind of unite people together. What mm -hmm. are your feelings on that? Well, I think in some ways I can agree, but also like when I look at the different organizations, kind of the main ones that we have, I don't know, I'm not, I have to apologize, I'm not super familiar with your, your climate over there. Um, I'm happy to learn more if you want to talk about it, but with the ones that we have here, they almost all like sort of serve their own purpose. Um, like everybody has a bit of a different niche. At, like, you know, IABC is behavior. We're behavior consulting, and one of the other things that's really cool about us is we don't do just dogs, which not a lot of people, will, not a lot of organizations do. Uh, and, like, you know, like, APDT is dog, um, but it's not necessarily, like, it's more for, like, a dog trainer and not as high level of a focus on behavior. Uh, another one that's really big over here is, like, um, Clicker Expo, and like the Karen Pryor Academy group, which like I've done the course, I'm, I'm a certified training partner, it's a fantastic course. Um, and that's a really kind of like big group and they sort of have their own thing going on too. Um, 
And then also I mentioned briefly the IACP. The IACP sort of they have their own unique ethos and, you know, they're the people who are going to sort of be happy with IACP maybe aren't going to enjoy, you know, like being a member of, of APDT as much. They might. They might, you know, people are obviously more than welcome to be members of multiple. Um, but if you really strongly believe in a certain line of thinking, you might not, you know, fall in line with others. So I like having the different organizations. Um, as far as, like, muddying the waters, I'm not sure, because, like, even myself, I'm I'm a member of multiple organizations, and I think that I get something a little different from each one. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just wondering if you thought that it was helpful to have so many. And, and you are right, they do seem to have their own kind of niches when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, patterns of thought, you know, what people think. I think, like, what gets a bit tough for me is, like, you know, everybody now has conferences, and that's what gets so hard is, like, oh, you can't possibly go to all of them. Um, <laughs> so that's where it gets tricky is, like, if you want to go learn from everybody, it's really, really hard to choose unless, you know, you don't have to worry about finances, but, you know, who who's that? <laughs> Not me, that's for sure. Like, I would love to be able to go to, you know, Clicker Expo, PPG, APDT conference, IABC. There's, like... There's other smaller organizations, too. Um, I think that they all exist for a purpose. It would be, you know, it would be great, like, in a perfect world if we just had, like, one. But then I I wonder about losing some of that variability, you know? Like, it's kind of nice to have a lot of different options. And, like, if you have a certain philosophy, you can join an organization that fits your philosophy a little better. What worries me with that is, like, if you kind of get involved, like, you know, if you're really heavy into, say, the IABC and you don't really branch out into other organizations, are you getting, you know, is your world a little too small, Hmm. right? Like, maybe it's good for people to have variability, but not if they don't branch out. Well, (laughs) this is one of my concerns about regulation, which is kind of Mm -hmm. another topic that we want to cover, um, because... It seems to me that if you were to regulate training methods, that could take us to a dark place pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, and I, I do think that's a, that is a real risk. Um, it's a very valid concern, um, and we can talk about this a lot. But, like, I don't know. I think the thing for me is, like, it's just really hard to see people that call themselves professionals abuse animals um and take people's money and i think we need something Hmm. do you know what i mean like i don't even know it's going to be a long time i feel like before we have like actual like set training standards that are regulated but we need something just to show that someone has some education and you know they have insurance and they they can't practice if they've been convicted of animal abuse you know things like that and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be necessarily dictating methods, from my point of view. I think we're a long way away from that. Although I do have a feeling that if, as an organization, we don't decide ourselves, eventually the government's going to decide for us, which that's a big concern for me. Um, but I do think we need something. It's it's really hard to see, and I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about people that are using, you know, leash corrections and things like that. I'm talking about, you know, people who really are abusing animals 
um, and you know that have no experience that call themselves trainers that are you know they're people that are you know starving animals they're really harming them or you know they're just taking people's money and they're not delivering results too like that's a big problem that's really harmful to the industry as well if you're if you're ineffective if you're not qualified for what you're doing yeah there are certainly people that are essentially scam artists you know and they call themselves yeah. uh, trainers or or behavior consultants and they really you know they don't have any education at all and i guess what i worry about with regulation of methods is uh, losing the autonomy to kind of be flexible and i think that yeah. some people will misinterpret me there and say you know and think that i mean we should be able to do you know we should be able to shock dogs as much as we want or whatever and that's not what i'm saying i'm just worried that you know if I just worry about the regulation of methods. You know, if someone mm-hmm. is saying, hey, you have to teach, uh, you have to resolve aggression in this way, or you have to teach a dog to sit in this, you know, like what? how far do we mm-hmm. go down that line of thought? So you touched on an interesting point there, which uh, I think is is a much uh, better picture, which is regulation of education, right? Like people should have mm-hmm. to have some kind of qualification to, to do training like I think that makes a lot more sense mm-hmm and I I would love to see too like some I think people should have to do like a hands-on apprenticeship as well because you learn so much hands-on handling dogs whether it's you know shelter dogs or working you know boarding trains or working in a kennel facility I think that that's really important um, Again, it is going to be really hard to regulate, but I do feel like there is definitely a base level of knowledge that I could say, yeah, I feel like any practicing dog trainer or behavior consultant should know this, and definitely not every practicing trainer does, you know? Like, we can hardly decide, you know, what negative reinforcement means. Most people can't define that or use it properly, right? Like, and that's that's basic learning science, Um Hi. <laughs> so what what would that look like? I, I know that you already have a kind of uh, test for people that want to mm-hmm. have be a certified IAABC member. And, and that seems like a good start. But even with that, am I right in thinking there's not a practical element at the moment? Um, we don't have a practical element because we're looking at like, when we say behavior consulting, we're looking at people's ability to work with the client. Um, and because we're not, we're not a dog or an animal training organization, we're not necessarily looking for training skills, which are important, um, but there are also other organizations out there that already test and certify dog trainers um, and do it well. So why reinvent the wheel and step on people's toes? But we, what we do is behavior consulting. So we're looking at a person's ability to go in and problem solve. Um, so we're looking at like how a, a consultant actually relates to their client. So we're looking, we want to see a couple case studies. We also want to see that they can, you know, answer questions at a fairly high level. So the, the case studies have to be complex um, and they have to be cohesive. So, you know, you, like you, you can't submit a case study and expect it to pass where you're working on leash reactivity and your answer is the dog never leaves the house, which I have seen. Um, they have to be complex, they have to be co- cohesive, they have to have a relatively successful outcome. Um, and what we're looking for in those is how you work with your client. Um, we also sort of 
present some case studies and ask you, you know, ask you questions related to those and see how you, you know, problem solve and answer something that's provided to you. And again, we're looking for someone who, um, you know, really is seeing important things like making sure they're, you know, recommending a vet check if there are sort of red flags in that that say, hey, that dog probably should have a medical checkup. Um, and that they understand, you know, how to work with things like separation anxiety, aggression, um, and do that ethically and, um, you know, do present, you know, um, answers that are appropriate to the problem. Um, so it is, it's a pretty rigorous exam. What I like about it is it's not multiple choice, which means you, you can't really study for it, and I, it really... I think does a pretty good job of capturing how people think um, and how they work, which is difficult to do. The downside is because it's not multiple choice, it is tested by people or graded by people. Um, but we have three people who look at it anonymously and we, you know, sort of play the scores off of each other. They generally average out, and if you know somebody is way off, we double check that. Um, so that's sort of how we work around that. Everything's graded on what's called a rubric. So they basically get, you know, for each answer, they get scored from zero to three generally. And like I said, we have multiple scorers that look at it anonymously, so they don't know who the submitter is. Um, and it works quite well, but it definitely has more man hours. And, you know, if it's not multiple choice, it's really hard to say, yeah, this is, you know, this is right or this is wrong. So that's the downside of it. Um, but I do think it's a really good exam as far as scaling it to be you know, like something in that concept that's something that would be, like, on a national, like, a national level, that's going to be a lot more difficult, right? Um, so as far as, like, what regulation would look like, that's a really big question. I don't know. Um, what I would, if I, you know, if I had my choice, what I would like it to look like, and, of course, it's going to work different in different countries. Here it's probably going to be done on state level, which could be interesting, but, I mean, I would love to see that you could, you know, have appropriate education from, you know, a wide variety of places because there are, like I said, there's already, um, you know, courses out there that are doing a good job, so why reinvent the wheel? Just say, hey, you know, you've gone through Karen Pryor Academy or, you know, you have an IABC certification, you have your CCPDT certification as a dog trainer, you know, you've done this course, you have that certification, that's going to fulfill that requirement of, you know, you're, you have your base knowledge, um, and then perhaps, you know, an in-person apprenticeship or something like that um, could be included, You making sure that people do have proper insurance, and, and again, that they're not convicted of animal cruelty. Personally, I don't really want to see a lot of regulation of methods, because I think for me that that could be a real problem, um, because like you said, I feel like dog training is in a lot of ways an art, and it's really hard to stick that into boxes. Um, and I feel like there is a lot of feel in what you do. And there are many, many ways to, you know, teach a behavior and being able to work with, with the animal that's in front of you and do something that's going to be effective that is the least invasive and aversive to that animal. Um, you have to be able to be flexible. And I think it would be really difficult to be, you know, to list all of the options um, and decide, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed, especially since it's individual to the learner, right? Like one learner, one animal might find one technique 
considerably more aversive than another. You know, so it's very, very hard to say. I think it would be extremely difficult. And I, I also, I, I really agree with you that I feel that when we try to sort of, you know, regulate methods, I think that that's really could be very concerning. Unfortunately, I think it's going to probably potentially happen. Um, you know, we're trying really hard to have our voice heard in some of the, you know, regulation that's already happening, you know, and trying to promote Lima and get that out there and get ourselves in that conversation. Um, but we really need people who are dedicated volunteers that are on the ground, um, you know, finding this legislation as it pops up and, you know, really getting people, other people involved in, you know, lobbying for that, um, which we just need a group of people that really want to do that, which we don't necessarily have right now, so it's a bit of a trick. So if anybody is listening that's interested, let me know. <laughs> we need help. What exactly do you think is going to happen? What kind of regulation of methods are you, are you talking about? So I'm not sure. And again, like, I just, I guess... I shouldn't speak too much to this because I guess I'm kind of talking more about like what worries me than what could actually happen. But like there was a, a bill that came up in Florida that was, um, you know, a little bit concerning for me. I don't know if it passed, um, but it was, it was pretty restricting on what dog trainers would be allowed to do. Um, and, you know, I'm not talking about, like, even going so far as to ban certain tools, but, you know, things like, you know, not being able to use leash pressure, for example, which, like, I personally use a lot of leash pressure in my training, and uh, I'm not going to apologize for that. I teach it using positive reinforcement, so I teach the dog how to follow, like, fingertip leash pressure with positive reinforcement. Um, it's really, really important in an urban setting that a dog understands that the leash is a communication tool and not a source of frustration um, because we do have to have the dog on, you know, a shorter leash a lot of the time, and it's really easy for dogs to get frustrated and leash reactive if they don't understand what the leash means. And I do feel that, you know, teaching leash pressure as a, as a cue so the dog understands to follow it is really important. And if you, you know, maybe don't work in an urban setting, you may not understand that, and, you know, that could be something that could easily come up on a, on a legislation as it's not allowed or, you know, body pressure, things like that. Mm. So is and, that, and you, to, you said that the Florida bill was already trying to outlaw leash pressure. Is that what you're saying? Don't quote me on that. Okay. That, sounds, <laughs> feel, that sounds really crazy to me. Mm -hmm, I feel like I've seen it on on a bill that came up, but I don't know well enough honestly to tell you if it was that one definitively and I don't want to spread misinformation um, I just don't have that all in my head of you know which bill it was that said which things so I don't want to say for sure but I know I have seen that on you know some proposed legislation which concerns me um, and, and there are people who feel like it's unnecessary in training I'm not one of those and again I'm not you know, I'm not hurting animals. I'm not doing it to scare them. I'm doing it to help them. Um, but if you don't work in an environment like I do, you might not think about it that way. Yeah, that's exactly a, a great example of the kind of um, extreme ideas that kind of uh, worry me a little bit because mm -hmm. I, I have no idea how you would even measure that, right? Like if the dog 
is pulling itself, then there's leash pressure. So that's kind of uh, that's that sounds really crazy to me. What, what I wanted to uh, go back to was something you said about you know you, you would like to see that they still uh, maintained kind of the wide range of options when it comes to education, and mm-hmm. then have people do some kind of apprenticeship um, or or show some kind of proof of hours, I guess. Um, so. Do you think that uh, maybe you have those roots of education and, and then people go on to do kind of a uniform test? Do you think that's that's the way to go? I mean, that you know, that's definitely an option. Um, like I said, this is just sort of me saying, like, well, this is what I would potentially like to see. I have no idea if it's feasible or not. Um, this is not something that I necessarily am honestly extremely well-versed in. Um, it's not something that I specialize in. So I'm sure there's someone out there who's going to be like, she does not know what she's talking about. And you're right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, because of my position, I sort of have to be very much a jack of all trades. I am not that person who is out there studying the um, the bills as they come up. I'm not that person with boots on the ground. I don't have a lot of the experience in the politics behind it. Um, but this is just sort of my opinion on what like I would like to see. I'm not saying, hey, this is going to happen or this is feasible. I just think, hey, that would be kind of cool if it worked that way, you know? Um, yeah, like either you, you know, you have taken a course and then you take a, you take another standard exam that sort of covers base knowledge that, God, we'd all have to agree on. <laughs> well, that would <laughs> be a, would be... <laughs> a struggle in itself, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that I do have to give props to because I think it is a pretty amazing accomplishment is um, our executive director of IABC Margie Alonso, who you met. Um, She had worked for a very long time with a couple other major organizations, uh, mainly the APDT and the CCPDT. And we actually um, came out with a joint code of ethics and standard of practice between the three organizations, uh, which is really amazing. Uh, I'm very excited about that because to me, that sort of is like a first step in us saying, hey, you know, we're important in the industry and we actually are going to agree on some standards and work together, which is very exciting. Um, So I have to give a hat tip to Margie for that because it really was her baby and it's a pretty amazing thing um, that, you know, she did together with, you know, the people from APDT and CCPDT, I'm, I'm pretty proud of her for, for that. And I think it means big things for the industry. Yeah, it's a gigantic achievement to get people to agree, <laughs> to get dog trainers <laughs> to agree, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. What's the saying? The only thing that, like, a dog trainer will agree on is what the other ones are doing wrong? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two dog trainers will agree on is what the third one is doing wrong? Yeah, so that's a gigantic yeah. achievement in itself. I guess, at the moment all of this stuff is entirely voluntary, right? Like, you only have to mm-hmm. abide by that if you decide yes. to become a member of those associations. Yes. So what is the goal of, say, the IAABC? Do you, do you want this to become uh, something that is regulated, or are you quite content with people voluntarily signing up? So I think for a while, it's going to be voluntary. Um, I personally would love to see some set standards in the industry, and I think a lot of people that are in the organization um, feel the same way, um, that we would like to have some some set standards and regulation. I think it's a long ways away, um, but that was sort of like, from my understanding, sort of the, the joint standards of practice is like a first step towards that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, because I think that a lot of people, this it's kind of become 
almost mythological in like the dog training community like mm-hmm. when will this industry become regulated and yeah <laughs> it's like nobody knows and nobody knows if it's even ever going to happen well, I think it. I think it will. Like I said, I think at some point it has to. Whether the industry itself takes, you know, the the steering wheel and is the drivers is in the driver's seat for this, or if it's done for us, I don't know. I hope it's the former. Um, I mean, it, it has to. You know, there's. It's getting far too common to hear stories of supposed professional dog trainers that are killing dogs that are abusing them. I think that at a certain point. Um, people are just going to say enough is enough Hmm. and it's going to become important enough that the government, if nothing else, will start to take control. Like when you think of it, like, don't you think it's, it's a little bit ridiculous that you have to have, you know, a a license and go to school. Like this is not to be detrimental towards any industry, but like you have to, you have to have more education uh, and and certifications to be a hairdresser than to be a dog trainer. You know, you can't practice as a hairdresser if you don't have certain education qualifications and you know licensing in place. And we don't have that for the dog and dog training industry. And we're taking care of you know living, breathing creatures. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I think that there needs to be regulation for you know all pet care grooming. Uh, dog daycare. I run it, or well, I don't really run it anymore, but I have a business in Canada. It's a dog daycare. I would love to see some set standards for dog daycares, boarding facilities. Same thing, because you know they can, they can really do a lot of harm by having undereducated staff and cramming in too many dogs into a small space. And it's it's can, or you know daycares lose dogs. Um, they get injured. They get killed because people don't know what they're doing or they're they're practicing unsafe practices. Yeah, and I also feel like uh, regulation could kind of be, it's kind of a double-edged sword because if it's done well, then brilliant. It helps, you know, it helps Mm -hmm. those of us that are responsible out. But if it is done poorly, then it is absolutely disastrous. And uh, locally to me, um, they've recently, they've tried to put some kind of uh, local restrictions on, on boarding facilities. And, you know, uh, the dog boarders are up in arms because the, it's, it's, restream, it's extremely restrictive to the point of which a lot of them are going to go out of business and a lot of it is, is not common is not common sense at all you know it, do, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, mm-hmm. so I guess having seen that locally I, I'm a little bit worried about where regulation might go in the future yeah and I think that that's kind of what happens when people who aren't in the industry aren't involved in the making of the regulation you know, like it's someone who's not in the industry that's like, well, you know, yeah, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But they don't know. They don't know that it's going to be really restrictive. Like you need a balance of something that's not going to put people out of business, but also, you know, make sure that you're operating responsibly and not putting people's animals at risk. Yeah, that makes total sense. So with regards to associations, uh, how do you feel like people should proceed? I mean, obviously, you're you're the IABC president, so you want mm-hmm. people to join the IABC. But if someone's listening to this and they're kind of just getting involved in the industry, and they're confronted with you know so many associations and acronyms at this point, yep. how how do you decipher it? So I think that my advice to people is always to put a little bit of research into them, find out if one really speaks to you over the other, and 
Um, if you're interested in behavior but maybe feel like you don't have the experience yet, one thing you can do is actually join the IAABC as a supporting member. And as a supporting member, there's no certification, so there's no test. You can just join and reap the numerous benefits that we have for members, which is, I think, one of the best parts about our organization. We give away, like, a ton of free education. You can get, like, free CEUs through us. Um, and, you know, go on the forums and learn that's a that's an excellent resource for you. Um, so I, I always recommend joining IABC even as a supporting member if you feel like you're not ready to certify. Um, and then APDT is a really good resource as well. Uh, again, for education and networking, um, there's no exam. They don't offer a certification, so it's a nice one to join. Uh, it's fairly well recognized. They do have like a a consultant locator for professional members, I believe, so you might get some business through it. Um, and they have some nice member benefits as well. If you're a newer trainer looking to get certified, um, if you want to take a course, I generally recommend Karen Pryor Academy. Um, I do really like that program. I did it myself after having a couple of years' experience in training, and I learned a ton. Um, so I think it's a good foundation intro program for someone who's just getting started, you do get a certification. You know, it's the it's the Karen Pryor Academy certification, but you do get a certification that's going to be, you know, actually fairly well, well recognized by potential clients. Um, the other option that I think is a really nice option for someone who is working as a dog trainer that wants to have, you know, some credentials is the the certificate. Well, tongue twister, Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers, which is the CCPDT. So that's going to be your, your, we call it the CPDT. So that's, that's a pretty well-known, um, great intro dog trainer certification. So that's sort of like what I would kind of recommend for people. If you want to, you know, get some education, APDT is a good one. Um, if you're someone who is, you know, feeling more like the balanced trainer community is a better fit for you, I would definitely recommend the ICP. Um, you know, I was a member for quite a few years. I really enjoyed the community. Um, I'm not anymore because I don't feel like it's a great fit for me now, um, but I've been to the, a couple of their conferences and I really enjoyed it. I still have a lot of friends that I made from that, good friends that, you know, it's great connections to have. So that's definitely an option if you're someone who sort of feels like that's a better fit for you. Um, but yeah, APDT and IAABC as members definitely for education and networking, and if you want to look at starting to get some credentials, the CCPDT, and then when you, you know, sort of feel like you've got enough skin in the game, definitely look at, obviously, the IAABC certifications. Awesome. That was very comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of letters. It, a lot of letters. You get a little tongue twisted. I think that gets very confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, it definitely does. I, I know a lot of people uh, get completely lost in the letters. Um, it's a lot it's very confusing yeah and I think that some of those things don't necessarily um, you know like I don't think we see a lot of CCPDT um, over here and Karen Pryor Academy is is kind of just starting to get more popular over here for a yeah. long time it it, it uh, was wasn't really um, very big over here and I think that a lot of that is due to the need to travel over to yes. uh, uh Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember if it's the US or well, I was yeah, going to say Hawaii, I but Hawaii is still. You go to Washington State. Hawaii is still part of the US. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Which I think put some people off, but uh, it's getting more popular here because I think mm -hmm. just the the quality is 
getting more and more renowned. What, one of my favorite parts about about the Karen Pryor Academy program was the hands-on. Um, like you do a lot of it online, but the traditional program that I took, there's four hands-on workshops, and that is just so valuable. You know, it's you just don't get the same quality of education, I feel, if you don't have that hands-on work with an instructor. Um, so I really, really appreciated that. What do you have, like, kind of in the UK for, like, you know, what I just blathered on about? What would what would people go to if they wanted, like, a membership or, you know, certifications? Because IWBC does, we're international, so you can join if you're in the UK, which is really cool, um, again, as a, as a member, or you can certify through us, and we have we don't just do dog. We have you know parrot, cat, and horse as well. Um, what else do you have over there for people? Well, one of the biggest route. Well, there's there's a couple of routes. So uh, one of them is cope. A lot of people do cope. Um, I've heard of cope. Yeah. Um, you also uh, probably the biggest route at the moment in the UK now over the last few years is is going through uh, the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers, which is uh, ran by uh, Steve Mann. And they do a lot of education courses, which I think is a is a good way in for people because you can just kind of pay to do mm-hmm. a, a day or two and uh, kind of get your feet wet a little bit and then see if it's for you. And they've got quite a, a nice community there. And they also offer a kind of um, uh, something comparable. You know, they are kind of an association as well. You know, you, you can... Uh, I guess I guess you can certify through them and, and do their uh, dog trainer course. The route that I took was... I went to university. Um, uh, I went to the University of Hull, and uh, they do a uh, course over at Bishop Burton College, um, which is a degree in, in canine behavior and training. And you can do that in person, and you can also do it uh, as a distance learner. So I did it as a distance learner, which means you, you do it um, online, but you also have to go up for block weeks, mm. so you get some kind of uh, practical experience. But a little bit like you were saying, actually, um, I learned the theory relatively well from um, university, and um, but I supplemented that hugely by talking to people that were very, very good at theory. Um, mm. and, and again, that's one of the perks of the podcast, but I do find people are pretty open if you've got the balls to kind of send them a message. <laughs> um, yeah. And those back and forth conversations really... Um, you you learn a hell of a lot in them and, and also if you're prepared to follow them up and and find out what people are talking about and then the practical element um again a little bit like you said you know if you if you can find people to work with then you can learn a hell of a lot i mean i remember one of the biggest um jumps in practical ability for me was uh i, I spent about a month in spain uh mm-hmm. working for uh, nando brown um and that was uh that was a massive eye-opener for me because I, I said I haven't told this story in a while because I, I remember it was in one of the first podcasts I was having a chat about this um, because I didn't realize people could get that good. <laughs> right? Like I thought, oh, I can train some tricks. Like you know, I I, I must. I guess it's like the Dunning Kruger thing. Like I was kind of yeah. like, oh, I'm pretty decent. And then I saw someone that was really good, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really crap. Um, but actually, while some people might find that um, disheartening, that actually really inspired me. That actually made me want to get... I was like, damn, I want to do that. Um, so I think no matter what education route you take, you should 
do your best to supplement it with other stuff and and you're right about like the practical stuff i think mm-hmm. that there's probably a lack of practical education out there you you really need to kind of uh, grind on that front to get good well like i can't tell you how much i learned just from moving to new york and working board and trains like i just board and trains um you know five days a week training five or six dogs a day and, you know, having to go and, and get a nervous or, you know, an aggressive dog out of their kennel and build a relationship with that dog and teach skills that are transferable to their owner <laughs> and also how to transfer them to the owner is, is a whole other skill. But, I mean, I've been training dogs for a long time and I learned so much. And it's sort of like, oh, I wish I had done this at the beginning. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a journey and it's been an interesting one. And I was lucky when I sort of started getting into it that um, I was able to sort of do a little bit of a mentorship. I don't know if you listened to the podcast that I did with, um, with Ryan Cartledge, but I talked a little bit more about that. Uh, I mentored under a really wonderful animal trainer named Donna McLaughlin. And um, it was great because if I had a, a, you know, a case that was too much for me, I could send it to her and then she would let me come along and watch. And we did a lot of like sort of training of, other species, horses, chickens, and stuff with her. So that was really cool. I was very lucky that she was actually who um, I got started into positive reinforcement training with, and she was just a very wonderful person and a wonderful trainer who, you know, approached me without judgment and just was like, yeah, come on, let's let's learn this. And um, the way that my dog learned with those techniques was just like, holy cow, this is amazing. Uh, so I was pretty hooked pretty fast. Um, but, yeah, I was very lucky that I had – her as a mentor, I think things might have been a little different if I didn't have that, but it was it was just sort of the right place at the right time. But I have learned a lot from fostering dogs from the shelter and working with dogs in the shelter as well. Yeah, awesome. So uh, to wrap this up a little bit, where can people find out more about you? Uh, more about me, I do have a website that I am, you know, really actually rubbish about updating i have to say um i'm trying to do a I'm trying to do a little bit more on my social media so my website is um i'll give you the new address it's nycdogtrainer.us and that has a little bit about me i uh, i do have a facebook page my facebook page is um sarah dixon fulcher which is my maiden name cdbc so you can find that on facebook um, and then instagram is also a really good one for me too I have two, actually two Instagram accounts. One of them is NYC Dog Trainer, where I post more of, like, my dog training stuff. And then the other one that I have is Dex, D-E-X-N, Brew, which is my dogs. And that's where I'll kind of post, like, more casual stuff, like pictures when I'm booting around the city or, you know, beer that I'm drinking, that kind of thing. (laughs) So if you're interested in one side and not the other, just follow one. If you want to get both sides, then go ahead and follow both. Okay, so also uh, you have a podcast? I do, yes, actually, which you're going to be a guest on, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, we'll be sick of each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a podcast, which is called Hair of the Dog, and it is a dog training and behavior podcast, but we also pair it with, you know, 
uh, a curated alcohol choice of the week, which like Rebecca and I typically do some kind of craft beer, um, but our guests will have everything from, you know, bourbon to wine to cider. And it's just kind of, we're trying to have a professional podcast, but a very casual atmosphere. Our goal was to have something like if you were sort of just sitting down and having a, a conversation about animal training in a bar. So that's sort of what we're going for. And, of course, I do have to plug the IAABC as well because we've talked a lot about it. Um, if you're interested in learning more, IAABC.org. You can find out about courses that we offer and membership there. I do encourage you to join, even if it's you know, if you're not ready to certify, join as a supporting member. It's a great community. There's lots of perks for you. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I had a great time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, if you want to grab the show notes for this episode, which is where I put the links and all the things that we spoke about, then just go over to nickbenger.com slash Sarah hyphen Dixon. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us to rank higher in the search results. So thanks so much and see you guys.